The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. To every creature, his own life is very dear. Mahavira, who's a saint in the Jain religion of India, said that such a long time ago, but it's my favorite quotation. I think it says it all. To his own life, every creature is very dear. And that's what we're about as vegans and people moving in a vegan word direction. And that's certainly what we're about here on the Main Street Vegan Program. And I'm so happy that you're going to be joining us today. Oh my gosh, we are going to have so much fun. After the break, I will be introducing Mike Kaplan. Well, obviously, I won't be introducing Mike Kaplan because you've seen him on, on Letterman and you've seen him on Conan and you saw him on Last Comic Standing. But we'll be introducing him to the Main Street Vegan Program. Fabulous vegan comedian. That's going to be great. And right now, it is my pleasure and saying my, I am Victoria Moran, the host for this program. I'm Main Street Vegan. You can find out more about my work at MainStreetVegan.net. And my guest for our first segment is someone who has written the most exquisite book about this way of life. In fact, she calls it The Vegan Way, 21 Days to a Happier, Healthier, Plant-Based Lifestyle that Will Transform Your Home, Your Diet, and You. And this is Jacqueline Day, happily vegan for more than 28 years. Jackie is an award-winning health educator and former head of PETA's education department. In 2010, she began her influential blog, My Vegan Journal. Jackie has been recognized for her successful advocacy work, see, I said it, by the California State Senate, the National Education Association, Time Magazine, CNN, the CBS Evening News, NPR, and so many others. You can find her at MyVeganJournal.com and my vegan journal all over social media. Welcome, Jackie Day. Hi, Victoria. So happy to be here. Well, it is absolutely wonderful to be talking with you. Your book is just delicious. And it is a book book 
but it looks like a cookbook because it's so pretty and it has so many pictures in it and it does have recipes, but it is also seriously a guide for going vegan. So if there's somebody at your office or somebody you know who's kind of thinking maybe a little bit on the fence, this would be such a wonderful book for them or really for anybody. So so introduce us to you, Jackie. How did you get started on your own vegan journey? Sure. Um, it goes back to a long time ago. I'm 53 now, but when I was about 13 years old, I distinctively remember stabbing my fork into a cow on top of the table and petting our dog underneath the table. And you know, when you're in your young teens, your brain starts to think for itself. And my brain was thinking, why am I being so affectionate to a dog and so horribly mean to a cow? It just didn't make any sense. And at about the same time, I bit into a piece of chicken and a little purpley blue vein had snapped back onto the bone and it just hit me that I wasn't eating a food called chicken. I was actually eating a bird, a a live bird with a heart that beat chicken and um, it just dawned on me I, I really didn't need to eat animals anymore to live a happy, healthy life. So I stopped at 13 and, you know, we muddled through. I didn't come from a vegan family. My mother was British and my father Croatian and we had lots of meats. Um, and then flash forward about 10 years later, I was at a peaceful demonstration and a girl needed a ride to her friend's house. She was visiting from Canada. She needed a ride home and I gave her a ride home. And along the way, she asked me a question that no one had asked me before. And she said, do you drink dairy milk? And I said, sure. You know, I don't eat animals, but what's wrong with a little bit of milk? And she proceeded to go through every animal product telling me exactly what was wrong with them. And as we know, the poor, you know, baby male calves are sent off to the veal industry almost upon birth, etc. And within 30 minutes, by the time I dropped her off, I was vegan too. So for me, that's how the switch occurred. And I've been happily vegan now, actually, for over 30 years and couldn't be happier. Oh, that's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. So you don't look like an old timer, but you are one. So I want to go through your your book, The Vegan Way, a little bit. It's such a beautiful 21-day journey. I love how you've done this very differently from a lot of the 21- or 30-day kind of guides because you bring everything in when you want to bring it in. So you've got clothing and some of those things kind of early on where a lot of people would like put that at the end, like, okay, if you can possibly do the food, maybe you'll one day get to the clothes. But you're offering this as this is a great way of life and we're just going to do it day by day and you can handle it. But let's start with day one, finding your muse. So who or what is your vegan muse? My vegan muse would definitely have to be the animals. I I just love them so much that I just can't even imagine causing harm intentionally ever again. So my muse is definitely um, to live a happy, healthy life so that they are not harmed. But I also have a muse to remain healthy so that I can stay on the planet longer to continue helping everyone. So I'm in it not just for the animals, but also for health. And I encourage other people to find their muse you know maybe they want to live a long life to watch their children get married or um, to you know relax on the porch with their husband as they grow older Um, very real things that you don't get to do if you have an unhealthy diet based with animal products and how much difference do you think it really makes? I know there's some controversy even within the vegan world these days about, oh, just do it for the animals and just don't worry about the rest. And yet, like you, and maybe it's because I'm not 22, I really do want to do this as healthfully as possible, understanding I'm not going to live forever. I'm not claiming any sort of superwoman superpowers And yet, if I can make food choices and lifestyle choices that keep me here, like you say, why not do that? 
A hundred percent. Health is definitely a big part of this. And just yesterday, I was signing a book for a woman in Portland after a talk I gave at the Portland Veg Fest. And I always am curious and ask why they're there. And she said her husband just had quadruple bypass surgery. And the surgeon and doctor, the entire team said he really needed to transition away from the animal products. That putting in a new vein or artery is just a temporary fix for about seven years. It's not going to last unless he changes his way of eating. And I mean, these, these examples are everywhere. Even Kaiser Permanente is recommending that their physicians tell all their patients to transition to a healthy plant-based diet. So yes, we're in it for the animals, but you know, we should be in it for ourselves too. Yeah, for sure. And of course, the planet, you would think that would be one thing that uh, everybody would want to be supporting these days. And it is wonderful in veganism. For me, that is the one thing that I just really didn't know about at all. And right. No, I, and I, I- I am learning more and more every day regarding that as well. I mean, if you think about it, 900 gallons of water for a pound of cheese, and you might think, well, gosh, cows don't drink that much water. Why is that? And it's because you're giving all that water to the grain that in in turn has to go to the animals. And you think about the dead zones we have in the Gulf of Mexico from the waste from big ag, and it's horrible. And, you know, people will say, take shorter showers or, you know, water your lawn less. Okay, fine, but if you really want to make a difference, enjoy a healthy plant-based diet. Amen. So let's talk about day six in your beautiful book, The Vegan Way. It's called I Smell Something Fishy, and I love it that you got to fish early in the 21-day process. So your goal for day six is pick a delicious vegan meal that normally contains fish and veganize it. So how does one do that? Sure. You know, that's one of my favorite chapters and one of the most difficult ones to write, but so important because a lot of people, you know, don't think about fish, but they're so cute. We really need to think about them as well. Um, one really good option is to put dried kelp or dried seaweed into things. Um, if you're making like a no tuna fish salad sandwich, um, just sprinkle that in and it will start tasting fishy. Um, I never enjoyed fish as a child, so I don't miss it, but I know for my husband sushi was the last thing to go and keep in mind you can still go to japanese restaurants just sub out the fish and put in avocados and other tasty things you can still enjoy fresh ginger and soy sauce and wasabi and now they're even creating this amazing sushi using carrots and i hear it tastes just like sushi and whole foods market has even started selling it in their sushi bar so it's becoming easier and easier every day to enjoy that fishy taste without harming the fish. Oh, that's wonderful. And you can really become attached to a fish. I know that uh, my daughter has told me that she has, has seen a fish by himself in a place of business. And she's trying to figure out how to approach the people in the place of business about your fish needs enrichment. And I understand that for a lot of people who don't think about these things, that just sounds funny. And yet when you come to understand that this is a being with self-awareness, it's not funny. It's really, really sad. That's true. Yeah, they form monogamous relationships. They use tools. I mean, it's amazing. They're in many ways just like people. And when we take them out of the water, it's akin to drowning for us. I mean, they're gasping for air. It's a horrible way to die. and, And we don't need to kill them. Amen. Let's not. So I'm moving on to chapter nine, day number nine, fast, cheap, and easy. Make a vegan meal that's fast, cheap, and easy and delicious, too. And you have a lovely salad dressing that I would like to put in the Main Street Vegan show notes with your permission, because I think this is one of the things people think, oh, my gosh, if I have to soak cashews and and make the dressing tomorrow, but we're having dinner tonight, it's just it's a lot. And you've got something you could just whip up in a minute. And, and it sounds really, really good. 
Yes, I would love it if you would do that. Again, I mean, I really think one of the keys to going vegan is starting off simple. You don't want a complicated recipe for a vegan baked Alaska. You know, you want it easy, quick, and cheap when you're starting off. And it's just a matter of combining a few simple things that you probably already have in your fridge and pantry. And um, that dressing can go on salads. It can go on pasta salads. And I've gotten tons of great feedback. And it's cheap and easy and you know, delicious. Yeah, it, it's lovely. It, it's a simple balsamic vinaigrette, but, you know, some of the spicing and sweetening you've got in it, I, I can tell it's going to be a very special, nice salad dressing that I will use a lot. So then let's move on to day 13, the skeletons in your closet. And you tell your readers to organize your closet and separate your vegan clothes from those made with animal products so you can gradually phase out wearing non-vegan items. So how did that work in your process? Um, In my process, I didn't just dump everything in the garbage. Um, I still had it around, but I wore it less and less. And then I just started slowly adding to my collection, you know, just clothes that keep me warm um, that don't have animal products. And it's so easy. I mean, one example, I just got this cute, it looks like a down jacket, but it's not from Target for, for barely any money with a hood. And I just wore it in the cold weather and it was great. Um, and of course, if you do uh, want to get rid of your stuff, of course, donate it somewhere so it doesn't go to waste, you know, um, just be smart about it. And it's easy to have cruelty-free clothing and with good reason too. And and you have this beautiful quotation from Gandhi in this chapter where you say, you may have occasion to possess or use material things, but the secret of life lies in never missing them. That's beautiful. Yes, Gandhi, you know, had only about, I think, 10 possessions at the time of his death, but they were so valuable and wonderful to him. So we really do need to appreciate the little bit that we have rather than just accumulating tons of stuff. Yeah. So when you talk to audiences, do you find that some of this overwhelms them when you say, okay, it's not just your kitchen, it's your medicine cabinet and your closet? What sort of response do you get from people? Um, I let them know to take it at their own pace. And that's why the beginning, I have a chapter on setting a date. I think it would be very overwhelming to do something like this the day before Christmas. It's just really be thoughtful about what day you're going to start doing this. Do it at your own pace, but really set a, a start date and a deadline to get, get this done. I don't think it's overwhelming, especially not now. You know, we went vegan decades ago and it might have been a bit more challenging, but if you follow your heart and have a muse that you're working towards and that's what inspires you it's really quite easy and I felt it was super important to incorporate all of being vegan it's just not what we eat you know if we're eating you know plants but then we're going out and buying a car with leather seats and a fur coat or whatever you know there's just so much more room for growth so I'm really fortunate that that they let me put everything into this book. Ah, well, and everything is important. Now, as we move on to day 15, keeping the happy in the holidays, we have Thanksgiving right upon us for people listening in the United States. And you have a checklist. Did you figure out where you're spending the next big holiday? Did you make a game plan for what food you'll be enjoying? Did you find a store that will have the items you need for your holiday meal? And then did you experiment with aquafaba? (laughs) So talk to us a little bit about um, holidays, particularly Thanksgiving, since that's what people are thinking about this week. How does one navigate that with an omnivorous family? Sure. Um, Yeah, a lot of us don't live in a 100% vegan family, so this can be a challenge for some, but it's easy to accommodate. Um, I suggest having everyone over to your house if that's possible, and you can knock their socks off with your vegan cooking, or offer to bring things to Thanksgiving, and it can just be um, something simple that you pop in the oven that's already pre-made, like a vegan roast from Trader Joe's 
or whole foods or gardening. Um, or it could be something that you adjust that's been a family favorite. Or I always make kraut fleckle, um, which everyone loves. It's su- such a simple dish, and it's on my website as well as a recipe if anyone wants it. And, of course, you can bring all the fixings. There's multiple types of vegan stuffing. That's easy. You don't have to start with a loaf of bread doing it all on your own and cranberry sauce. And it, it's just such a wonderful way to enjoy the holidays with plant-based foods. And also what I've noticed in my personal experience, my in-laws, for example, eat animals. Um, but the first Thanksgiving, I brought over an array of stuff and they really enjoyed it. And then the next Thanksgiving, they made everything vegan. Like people honestly adjust even if they're not always vegan. So, um, you know, if things are a little bit awkward, just explain why you're eating this way. And you'll be surprised how receptive they'll be and how much they'll enjoy the food that you make. Mm. And people are very nice. I think sometimes people don't understand it and they don't necessarily think it's something that they want to do. But they respect oftentimes that they know someone or there's someone in their family who's trying to do something a little bit extraordinary I know that's not true for everybody, but there are people like that in our worlds, and uh, we need to look for them. So I can't believe that our time is almost up. When we get to day 21, that day is called Vegan for the Win, and you say learn how to pep yourself up when the world seems hopeless. And I think, Jackie, that's how a lot of people are feeling right now. How do we put the vegan thing into the context of all that's going on in the world, and how do we keep upbeat and keeping on. Well, I think we need to recognize we hold the power no matter what's going on in this world. With every dollar we spend and every bite we take, we are changing the world no matter what's going on overseas or in Washington, D.C. And that's super empowering. And also the change is happening at an exponential rate. I mean, everything from, you know, cars with vegan seats, vegan fish, um, policies being passed. I mean, California just passed where you you can't even sell, you know, animals from puppy mills anymore in the stores. I mean, it's at lightning speed and there's so much to be happy about. The upcoming trip to Mars is all plant-based food. I mean, it's just incredible. And it, it is heartbreaking what we see, but we have to know that that things are really on our side. And that's why I say vegan for the win. We are all becoming vegan. We cannot sustain our planet and live on it unless we all do. And, and that should bring everyone some comfort. Uh, well, you bring me some comfort and so does your beautiful book. I mean, everybody, you've got to go. Go to BN.com or Amazon or wherever you go and just look at this book. I mean, you will see the cover and you'll want this book, The Vegan Way, 21 Days to a Happier, Healthier, Plant-Based Lifestyle that Will Transform Your Home, Your Diet, and You by Jackie Day. You can find her at myveganjournal.com, and you can actually go on YouTube and find her singing book trailer. How's that? Jackie, thank you so, so very much. And everybody else, stay with us. We're going to be laughing it up with none other than Mike Kaplan. Thank you. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com. 
Amazon.com or your favorite bookseller. Tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. I am Victoria Moran, and as I said earlier, over at MainStreetVegan.net, we have all kinds of information about everything that I do, run an academy and train vegan lifestyle coaches, We've got a blog, we've got all kinds of stuff going on, as well as the show notes for this program, so that you can find both of our guests on social media and around and about, so do take a look over there. And right now, oh, I'm so excited, I love people who are funny, Mike Kaplan is a 2010 Last Comic Standing finalist. He's appeared on The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, The Late Show with David Letterman, Comedy Central Presents, and a bunch of other places. His podcast, Hang Out With Me, is on the Keith and the Girl Network. His debut CD, Vegan Mind Meld, was one of iTunes' top 10 best-selling comedy albums, followed by Meat Robot in 2013 and his one-hour Netflix special, Small Dork and Handsome, in 2014. His website is MikeKaplan.com, and you know that Mike is M-Y-Q. Welcome, Mike Kaplan. Thank you so much. Uh, I guess that's all the time we have for today, but uh, (laughs) it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, for doing that research, for saying all those words. Uh, It's very nice to be here. Well, I, I... have listened to a lot of this stuff and oh my gosh you're funny and our previous guest jackie day when she heard that you were going to be on she was like oh i wish this was in person because he's so funny i want to be there so everybody's really lucky we get to be with a funny person so mike what is your vegan story uh i once upon a time i grew up a regular american you know meat sandwich eating human being uh i I feel like in high school is when I started thinking about uh, that sort of thing. Oh, uh, I'm sorry if you hear a dinging. I got a new computer and don't know how it works. Um, But I, in high school, uh, thought about, like, wouldn't it be great if I uh, didn't have to eat animals? But I was like, but I always do. Uh, They seemed like, you know, they had feelings and wouldn't want to be eaten if they could choose it. But I, it took me a few other years, uh, to get to college where my, um, they had a bunch of different options in the dining hall. They had like a vegetarian station that I was like, Oh, I think now I I hadn't, I'd never had like, you know, any kinds of Asian food aside from like Chinese food. So like now I had different like Vietnamese food and Indian food, Cambodian food. They had, uh, like Ethiopian food in Boston where I went to school. So, and I found that all these places did have, you know, vegetarian options, vegan options. And so I, 
I was like, why not? Why not try to live the way that I think would be good to do? And so I, I was like, I guess if I fail, at least I tried, but I, I didn't. Uh, I tried and it kept, it worked. And then a few years later, uh, after college, I, I sort of, I read some Peter Singer. I'd read some other, uh, you know, just seen some documentaries and like it, I was like, oh, I guess I, you know, being vegan seems to be the actual, uh, epitome of what I actually, what I believe I quote unquote should be doing because Obviously, the meat industry and the dairy industry are, uh, they're not separate, they're intermingled, and it's camp, you know, if you're getting milk, there are cows that are being, uh, harmed in a way that I didn't want them to be. So I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have to read a lot of stuff. I'm gonna have to ask a lot of questions. I'm gonna have to be really annoying. Then I was like, wait, I love doing all those things. So it's, uh, <laughs> that's where I, when I was about 24 is when I, uh, stopped eating all the, uh, animal products that I could uh, on purpose, and uh, and that's what I've been doing since for the past fifteen years or so. So, how does that line up with your comic story? Did you always think you were going to be a comedian? No, I didn't even know that comedians were really a thing. Uh, I feel like growing up, um, I, I saw Paul Reiser, you know, from Mad About You, uh, mm-hmm. was the first comedian I ever saw, like, on TV do a special. Like, and I loved it, and I bought his book, Couplehood, and I bought it on tape, and I drove around listening to it. And I knew that Seinfeld was a guy, and that the people on Saturday Night Live were people. But I also, the only comedians I knew were famous, so I thought that you just got to be a comedian once you were famous. I had it backwards. I thought, uh, like, oh, once you're, like, a TV star or a movie star, they're like, well, now you can be, be a comedian as well. Uh, but I, and I, in the meantime, was, uh, playing music and becoming a songwriter. I'd played violin since childhood and hated it. I started teaching myself guitar in uh, high school and loved it. And it was helpful that I had all the violin information pounded into me, uh, because now it was much easier to play the guitar, which was a thing that I learned to love because I didn't have to do it. Uh, and I started writing songs. And when I was in college, I started trying to play at my like college coffee shop and like different talent shows and things. And then when I was 21, I started performing in like bars around Boston, like for music, open mics. But then I also was just searching for anywhere to perform. And uh, I found the Comedy Studio, which is a, a comedy club in Harvard Square, uh, Cambridge. And they were like, sure, you can come here and play your songs if you want. And so I went and played some funny songs there. And sort of little by little, it was sort of the the track of becoming from vegetarian to vegan was similar to be going from music to comedy because I, I started really pursuing music and vegetarianism in my undergrad life. And then as that was, I, I got went to grad school and mostly just to keep not getting a real job so that I can keep living in Boston and keep uh, like pursuing these goals, these dreams, like in in my mind at the time, giving myself a chance to hopefully, quote unquote, be discovered, which I now know is just like putting in the time and effort and getting better at doing the thing that I was trying to do. And so right when I was around 24 and became vegan, that's also when I really started pursuing comedy more than music uh, because I'd enjoyed playing the songs, but I also enjoyed talking in between the songs and people would sometimes laugh at the things I said, and I was like, oh, that'd be easier to do that and not even have to carry the guitar around as much. <laughs> so how did you get to less comic standing? Uh, well, so around 2002 is when I was starting doing comedy, and I think the first year that less comic standing was a show was 2003 or four, and so that was very early on. A bunch of us in Boston like went out and stood in line uh, cause they're like, do it, do that. And we waited and, you know, waited for hours and hours uh, to do 30 seconds of comedy and have the people be like, nope. Uh, and they're like, all right, thank you. And then I probably, I might've tried out again a year or two later, but basically, you know, last comic standing is one of the things that makes, you know, it, probably the, a lot of the people who know who I am might've first seen me on last comic standing because that was the first time I was really in front of millions and millions of people week after week. Uh, but that was eight years into doing comedy. So between 2002 and 2010, when I did Last Comic Standing, it was basically about just, you know, going out every night uh, while I was in Boston from 2002 to 2008, uh, 
performing at open mics, going to watch other shows, just sort of, you know, listening to my sets, writing jokes over and over, rewriting, editing, deciding what worked, what didn't, uh, you know, getting better. Because, you know, I, I feel like I was lucky that I had a, a supportive family and nice friends. Like growing up, I was very fortunate. You know, my parents were teachers. Like we had a nice, a nice enough house in the suburbs, you know, that uh, I and I was told that I was good at everything and I could do anything and I was the best and I could be, you know, the president and a doctor and a lawyer and an accountant. And I was <laughs> like, what about a comedian? And they were like, OK, but just as a backup, you could still be the president and a doctor and a lawyer and an accountant. But I had this sort of, you know, buoyed uh, self-esteem, uh, this, you know, based in having been uh, cared for my entire life that now once I went out and started doing comedy, I was now getting uh, other messages from audiences that were like, uh, you can't do anything. You can't do this. You can't do that. These jokes aren't good. And I was like, mm, I think you must be wrong. I haven't found the right audiences yet. And but little by little, that sort of delusional self-confidence, like, you know, faking it, which I didn't know was faking it because I really did believe in myself. But now if I look back at those initial days and weeks and months and years of doing comedy, I'd be like, ooh, boy, I'm glad I didn't know that at the time what I was doing because I didn't know what I was doing. And but every year I would look back and be like, oh, I'm better now. And now I'm better. And so now finally, 15 years in, it's subjective. But uh, it was it just takes time and effort. Like there's always people who, you know, now I talk to and that you you want to know they want to know secrets and shortcuts and uh, and like the secret is you just have to do it a lot. And hopefully that, I mean, that's not even enough, like doing it the most. And also there hopefully has to be something inside you. Like, you know, there are some people who want to be singers, but are tone deaf and they can work at it and work at it and work at it. And you don't know at the beginning, if you're a tone deaf comedian, uh, until you do it for years and years and years until maybe like four to six years in, I had friends that were like, oh, you are funny now. And I'm like, thank you. What do you mean now? <laughs> and then you just keep doing it. And in Boston, you know, you go from doing open mics and not getting paid to probably like two years in, I might have gotten paid 50 bucks to do one show. And then the next year I got paid $75 to do another show. And then eventually, uh, you know, maybe four, five, six years in, I was working regularly uh, and still not making a living. But then in, I'd say around 2008 is when I stopped having a job, stopped living at, at my college as a resident assistant, uh, where I, you know, lived for free and was able to go out and do comedy most nights and also had sort of day jobs, like working as a barista at a Barnes Noble cafe. And I was studying linguistics and I worked at a linguistics department of a technology company. And so I was doing all these things to hopefully, you know, let myself keep going out and doing comedy until eventually I did, I, you know, I did comedy at a comedy festival in Seattle that led to another one in DC that led to me uh, being seen by a college booking agent. And they helped starting, uh, they helped start me getting uh, bookings at lots of colleges that then was able to support me for like 2008 when I was like, that's, I'm a comedian now. And uh, that was was also the first year. I mean, and I was a comedian leading up to that. But uh, that was the first time that I was like, I felt like I'd reached the goal that I'd had of being a full time professional comedian, not, quote unquote, needing to do any other work to support myself other than comedy. And then I also did audition for like a Comedy Central show uh, and got on live at Gotham, uh, which was a show on Comedy Central that year. And then by that point, I also then got a manager saw me performing at another comedy festival and became my manager. And I mean, so the, the actual story of how I then got on Last Comic Standing, which is the question that you asked. Uh, so to make a long story really long is uh, we submitted, you know, by this point, I, I asked my manager, if he, should I, I, I'd like to be on Last Comic Standing maybe? And he's like, eh, I don't know if it would be good, but maybe you could win. So uh, at this point, you know, if you have a manager, if you have an agent, if you have been doing comedy for enough years, you don't have to stand in line like they show a lot of people doing. And actually, in recent years, they've stopped doing that altogether, which is nice, uh, because I guess people like the idea that, oh, it could be you could be plucked from nothingness and then become a comedic, uh, you know, superstar where that could be true for singing. Like you could be an amazing singer that nobody's ever heard of. But in order for you to be an amazing comedian, you have to have been doing comedy for at least you can't have never done it. 
That would be mm-hmm. real weird to be like the next comedy superstar performing for the first time. <laughs> you know, like you can't you can sing in your basement. You can become a great musician in your basement. You can you know become a dancer. You can be a painter. You can do so many things without people seeing you. But part of doing stand up is people seeing you, hearing you, responding to you. And that I mean, that's how stand up in general works. I don't want to make, say there are any hard, fast rules, but certainly for me, by that point, I've been doing comedy for, you know, seven, eight years. Uh, we, you know, I, I tried out the, they passed me through to the next round and then that just kept happening until the show was over. That is, that's sort of like, uh, what's the sound of one hand clapping is something funny if there's no audience. Oh yeah. Nobody there to respond so are you funny in regular life? Do you think of yourself as a funny person? And also I want to know, do you and do the other comics that you know, are you lighthearted people or do you look around at things like are happening in the world and you're just like, oh, my God? Uh, I would say that there are, to, number one, uh, I like the idea of the, you bringing up the sound of one hand clapping because when there's no audience, there's the sound of no hands clapping. Um, <laughs> and definitely... Uh, uh, to answer the last question, I remember you saying first, cause it is what I remember. Uh, I would say that I am, I am generally speaking lighthearted, uh, but I also am paying attention. And so here, I guess here's the way that I would put it before, you know, obviously there have been, there are always problems. There are 7 billion people in the world. There are people who ha- are, go to bed hungry every night. There are people being oppressed. There's uh, minorities being marginalized. And this is something that I, you know, growing up, I wasn't necessarily, I certainly wasn't aware of all of it. I didn't have the internet. My family wasn't necessarily like, you know, educating me about the news and politics from a very early age. So it wasn't until I was, you know, an adult that I even did start really understanding or caring. And maybe that is uh, a common experience. I maybe not, but I guess these days, if people are online, perhaps you can't help even as a child, but be aware of, you know, what's going on politically, but definitely it's been a a gradual uh, or maybe even exponential uh, learning curve to the point that a a joke that I say on stage sometimes, which is also a truth is before November of 2016, if somebody said to me, how are you? I would probably say so far, so good. You know, I don't want to, I don't know the future, uh, but I am grateful for all of the, uh, the life that I've led, the people that have cared about me, the opportunity to get to do what I love and also, uh, trying to, you know, help and give back and do all that I can to, uh, share positivity and, you know, things that are necessary with people who, uh, don't have as much as I do. But just in general, I would feel comfortable ca- encapsulating my answer to how are you uh, with so far, so good. And now I feel like if somebody says, how are you? I'm like, life's a rich tapestry. <laughs> and I, I really say like, you know, I'm, I'm okay, you know, which I feel like un- most people understand. It's not like a secret code of like, you know, people want to know that you're okay. But also I think it would be weird to not, it's, it's, everything is strange. Everything is like, you know, everything is not okay. And uh, so it's definitely as a human being, like I think, you know, comedians for the most part are human beings. My friends in comedy are caring people. Uh, In fact, a friend of mine just told me he saw our friend Jackie Cation, who's a comedian in Los Angeles, uh, on stage last night. And I think she, she told a joke that was something like, I'm not usually a political comedian, but I am uh, alive. So uh, it's something that we can't, you know, most people can't help. But, uh, you know, in it's it's ingrained in us now. We are all a part of the world, the universe, society, uh, the things that are happening around us. And so I'm something that I haven't always done, but I'm doing more now is like, at least like sort of on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, I, I usually post jokes most days, sometimes lots of jokes. And sometimes they are just, you know, sometimes they're silly things that I think of that I, that I hope that people will enjoy. Uh, because comedy can be, comedy can be for a lot of things. It can be to, uh, escape, you know, if you have a hard day at work, if you've been watching the news all day and you want to go out or put on something on, Netflix or TV or whatever, and be like, let me just laugh. Let me just get lost in like anything, like reading a fiction book, like, you know, like 
watching a movie that isn't a documentary, that isn't about what's going on in the world. Like sometimes entertainment and art is for escape and sometimes it is for connecting even more, you know, intensely and vividly and sort of resonating with what is going on. So I have been uh, like writing more and thinking more and creating more uh, jokes and truths and ideas that are connected to, uh, you know, what I feel about what is happening in the world, in society, in politics, in life and and in my life. And so it is sort of like this yin yang where, I mean, I do also, I don't know. So I'm like, so yeah, I do think of myself as lighthearted. Uh, I, I, another buddy of mine, Ryan Singer, I just saw perform last night and he spoke to this, the fact that you can't express, you know, we can only be saying certain words at a certain time. Like I can't, I'm not a Tuvan throat singing monk uh, that can sing two notes and also express two ideas simultaneously, but I certainly can contain all of these multitudes, which are, you know, gratitude for where I am, uh, and also concern for people that uh, are not in places that they want to be. Well, and I think that's what a lot of vegans go through, too, because, you know, we need to be happy and take care of ourselves and, and you know, make other people interested in maybe looking at, at what we do, and yet we know about the suffering of the animals and stuff. It's difficult. So you bring veganism into your comedy routine sometimes. And when you do, I find it just extraordinarily funny. Maybe it's funnier to me because I'm vegan than it is to somebody who isn't vegan, but I just, I love it. So how do you do that? And are vegans funny to omnivores? Uh, great question. I appreciate your kind words. And, uh, yeah, I would say that, um, in general, uh, there are vegans are, are funnier to others than, uh, than others are. I feel that like when I started doing comedy, uh, you know, which was right around when I was becoming vegan, uh, I started writing, you know, I, I've always written jokes about my experience, which sometimes is about what I'm eating. Sometimes it's about, you know, what I'm responding to politically. Sometimes it's about a movie that I see. And so I've never set out to, you know, only write jokes about being vegan because I am, you know, I'm not just a vegan all the time. I'm also, uh, you know, a, a person who cares about, uh, you know, like sexism and uh, feminism and homophobia and racism and white supremacy and the patriarchy. And, uh, and also I care about, you know, the things that I love, like, you know, art and, uh, my friends and relationships. And so it like the same way that I can't talk about, I don't, there is not only one thing in me, but w so when I do have ideas about veganism, which is obviously something that I do care about, uh, because it is something that it's another, like, a wrong that's being done all the time is that, you know, animals are suffering, animals are dying uh, unnecessarily. And uh, I guess the fact that I, that most people aren't vegan is something that I knew. And so when I talk about it, uh, I know that I'm coming from a place where people might have preconceived notions about what a vegan is, that we, we're talking about it all the time, that we're not funny, that uh, we are just sort of, you know, wanting to preach and convert and, you know, proselytize and make people feel bad. And I don't want people to feel bad. I want every being to feel as good as possible. And so I do understand that there's a lot of things about my life that are non-mainstream. Like I'm polyamorous. I don't want children. Uh, I, in the past, have identified as an atheist. I now, uh, you know, I do certain drugs and have different experiences more than other people do. I do ayahuasca ceremonies and I'm vegan. And so I know that throughout my whole comedy career, because of my whole life, because I'm weird or like anomalous, at least statistically in all of these ways, I know that sometimes when a comedian gets on stage, they're like, hey, here's an experience that we all have and here's what I think about it and people connect that way. Whereas a lot of the time, I mean, I have some things like that as well because I'm a human being, I live, I breathe, I work, I eat, but also I have all of these particular things about me that are not the majority's views, that are not the majority's lifestyles. And so I've come at things like, one of the first jokes that I ever wrote uh, was about when I was just a vegetarian. I was like, I'm a vegetarian, are there any other douchebags here? And so... Uh, when I say that to a room full of people who are mostly not 
uh, vegetarian or vegan that, you know, I feel like the, the goal and what happens is when I say I'm vegetarian, there might be like a tightening, like, what is this going to be? Are we going to be, you know, nagged and preached at? Uh, and then when I say, are there any other douchebags here? Uh, that sort of like lets the air out and relieves the tension and at least acknowledges to them, uh, that I know how I might be perceived. Like, I don't think of myself as a douchebag, but as the joke, I understand that there might be people who think of vegetarians or vegans as douchebags. And so, like, the goal is to, you know, if they don't get on board on the first word of the sentence, you know, they will be on board by the end of it. And so that's my my general, like, I, there are people also who I think do a fine job and it, it makes sense to, like, yell your truth. Like, if you're like, there are there are beings suffering, whether it's, you know, in uh, racism, in sexism, in veganism, whether whatever it is, it's, you know, there's horrendous things happening all the time. And I certainly understand if people don't want to make jokes about it, if people don't, if they just want to be like, hey, stop what you're doing. And I, I found that for me, the my goal, I mean, my goal in comedy is to write jokes that are funny, ideally, and express what I really like, what I think and care about. Like those are the com those are the combinations of things that I want to put in my comedy, uh, things that are funny and meaningful. Uh, and so when I can write a joke about my experience with veganism that is, you know, coming from a real place and also can be something that connects to something that other people understand, which I that's that's the, you know, the 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 fatal flaw like this, you know, ironic thing that I feel like. Almost every reasonable person who's even not, you know, not vegan, not vegetarian, like who just hasn't like they don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it because they know that they're doing a thing that if they thought about it, if they talked, they'd be like, this is a, this is a, a horror like that. You know, we are. And I'm not saying that I'm innocent of be a part. I'm a human being. I'm flawed. I'm sure there are things that I'm doing that are hypocritical. Uh, and also that I haven't considered everything, but for the things that I have considered, I'm like, if most people considered these things, we would agree on the basic building blocks of be kind to others, including any being that can experience pleasure or pain. And so, uh, I guess to answer your question, I'm not always funny in real life, but I'm not always trying to be funny in real life. When I, I do think of myself as funny when I, want to be funny when I need to be. Also, it's uh, it's subjective. So not everybody will agree. Not everybody will think it. And I don't require that. But my goal is just always to be myself as much as possible and share my thoughts, ideas, philosophies, comedy, jokes, truths, and everything with everybody. who, And then everybody gets the opportunity to listen and decide how much resonates with them. Like I've been fortunate that there have been people who've listened to my comedy and they've then written me later and were like, oh, I listened to you talk about this and I'm actually now uh, making strides towards being vegan or towards being polyamorous or just like the ideas that I'm talking about do resonate with people sometimes who didn't start off agreeing with the position. So when you're around somebody that is, well, like a letterman, you know, somebody who is almost mythological in the culture, how do you feel? Uh, well, specifically, sometimes, like when I did Letterman, uh, which I think I did three times, uh, I mostly only talked to him when he came over to shake my hand after the set. So in those moments, it was just sort of like a surreal, like, I did this, I'm here, uh, thank you. And I don't really, you know, I'm not, I don't interact with him as a person much. Whereas some of the other shows that I've done, like Conan or James Corden or Seth Meyers, uh, like those, those folks all like came to my dressing room beforehand or talked to me a little bit afterwards. And I have gotten a sense of like more who they are as human beings, uh, because I, they've shared more of themselves with me as human beings. And I, I guess that's the thing that I would say is that I do, of course, like I, I've loved watching, uh, some of those guys, like for my, you know, my, a lot of my childhood uh, and a lot of my adult life and getting a chance to meet them and be a part of the comedy that the shows that they're creating, uh, is a, a really cool, wonderful opportunity that I'm grateful for. And also grateful to get the opportunity to connect with them as 
human beings because that is also what they are. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I've heard it said that because we don't have royalty in the U.S., that people whose names we know become the royalty. And, you know, there's vegan royalty. It's just, it's interesting. So we're just down to our last few minutes. This has been so much fun. Now, people are going to be hearing this the week of American Thanksgiving. So um, tell me either what you're grateful for or what you're going to eat on Thanksgiving. I'm grateful. Oh, sure. You can be grateful for (laughs) what you're going to eat. Well, that would have been the first thing I said. You cut me off at the pass. Uh, You did a great job. Um, I'm grateful that you said it, so I didn't have to. I'm grateful (laughs) that you've had me as a guest. I'm, uh, I'm grateful. I think I, I'll reiterate, like, just for the life that I've gotten to live, for all of the ways in which I have been fortunate beyond my own control, uh, you know, for my family, for my education, for my upbringing, for like living in a society and a culture that has been, you know, like if I lived hundreds of years ago, I probably would have died a lot sooner. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a fighter. I'm not a hunter. Like maybe I would have been, but I'm, I'm grateful for who I am and who I get to keep becoming for the experiences, uh, that I'm still having, you know, everything that I've been through, everything that I, I hopefully get to uh, accomplish in the future. Like, but even if nothing else ever happens, uh, I'm I'm happy that I get to do comedy. I'm thankful for that. I'm happy that I get to, you know, be uh, like chair the things that are important to me, and hopefully uh, help in any way that I can other people, animals, beings, uh, and uh, I don't know, aliens, uh, <laughs> living, living and non-living, conscious and non-conscious. Uh, whatever there is, like I, I'm doing my best to help the universe, uh, become uh, a slightly better universe. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to get to do that. Well, and it's just karma. You're a terrific person. And so you have these opportunities to do these things. So everybody, you, you've got to go to MikeKaplan.com and, and check out all the, the sites, the, the, videos. If you get a chance to see him in person, which I was able to do last month, it was wonderful. So please treat yourself to that. M-I-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N.com. Thanks so much, Mike, for spending this time with us today. Thanks to our first guest, Jackie Day of The Vegan Way, to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world, and our fabulous engineer, Jeff Comfort. And to everybody, happy Thanksgiving. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. Confucius said that to be wronged is nothing unless you continue to remember it. If we can let our past remain in the past, we are not compelled to endlessly reenact it. 
If we seek to understand the situations in the other person's life and put forth the effort to walk a mile in his shoes, we may be less quick to take offense at what may be directed toward us. Understand that forgiving does not mean excusing, but dwelling on past slights or offenses can never help us grow. Unforgiveness always diminishes us. An African proverb says, The one who forgives ends the quarrel. You can be a powerful agent for healing. Let go of old hurts. Let the past be the past. Forgive. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together. 